0: Good evening and welcome. My name is Julian McIntyre and I coordinate the adult programs here at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Before we start tonight's lecture, I'd like to acknowledge our sponsors. Education programs, including tonight's lecture, are supported by the Catherine Society, women inspired by Catherine the Great. So it's very appropriate for this series of lectures. Tonight's lecture, which is the Luxury Arts as Symbols of Power, is going to be given by Anne Odom. And to introduce her, I would like to bring on our curator of European art, why am I stumbling, Christina Cassilia, who is co-curator of the exhibition Upstairs, and herself also an expert in decorative arts.
1: Good evening. When I began to think about when Jillian very wonderfully announced that we would have a lecture series, um, which we were very pleased about. The first name, I have to say, that occurred to me was that of Anne Odom. Um, And that was not just because I had started to work on the show several years ago, and her name kept coming up and up and up, and I kept using her books, but I had used her books many years ago when I had been called upon to pinch hit for a class on Russian porcelain. And then I remembered I had also used her books on Sev porcelain many years before, and I realized this was the perfect person because for us here now, because this is an exhibition about cultural exchange, and we really wanted someone who could speak to cultural exchange between Europe and Russia. So I called my colleagues at the Hermitage and said, these are the people I am considering inviting What do you think? And before I said anything, they said, well, you must invite Anne. So we are very pleased that Anne Odom is here this evening. Um, Anne comes to us from a very distinguished background in curatorial work herself in a museum. Um, And it's a museum I have actually asked her to spend a minute or two, telling you all about, because if you haven't been there, you certainly should go there, and that's the Hillwood Museum. So she will tell you about that. She is now curator emeritus at the Hillwood Museum and was also deputy director of collections there, as well as chief curator and assistant curator. So this is someone who is intimately involved and has been for many years with their collections of both French and Russian decorative arts and has written, and this is only a selection of her publications, Russian Enamels, Fabergé at Hillwood, co-author of A Taste for Splendor, Russian Imperial and European Treasures from the Hillwood Museum, Russian Imperial Porcelain, editor and author of Decorative Arts of the Russian North, in Arts of the Russian North, which is a book I highly recommend, and guest curator of a wonderful exhibition that was at Middlebury College in 2003, I believe, um, with a wonderful title, What Became of Peter's Dream? Court Culture in the Reign of Nicholas II. So at this particular um, time of day, the dinner hour, um, you are about to hear a very, I am sure, enlightening talk about, partly about... Catherine's uh, involvement in some of the with some of the ceramics you've seen upstairs, some of the porcelain upstairs and their political ramifications. We really weren't kidding when we said art for empire and here's the lecture to prove it. So welcome to Anne.
0: I feel like I should just bow and sit down after (laughs) that that opening. I don't don't know quite how to proceed. Um, thank you very much. I let me tell you just a little bit about Hillwood. It was is was the Washington residence of Marjorie Merriweather Post, the serial heiress. It has no connection with the Washington Post, and is she first began collecting in the late teens of the 20th century and into the 1920s. A French. Uh, furniture, porcelain, gold boxes. That was her first love. Then, uh, when she married her third husband, Joseph E. Davies, he became our second ambassador to the Soviet Union. And so they went to Moscow in 1937-38, and she suddenly realized that Russian art was, uh, in the imperial period, was very close to. Uh, the French art that she loved and she began collecting and collected uh, for the rest of her life. And I mean she continued to collect French things as well. So that's where our uh, Russian collection comes from and you'll see a number of things uh, that I'll show you this evening uh, from that collection. And I do encourage you to come. So I'd uh, like to begin uh, and really to talk about the these incredible ceremonies um, which it, you can see and you have a feel of in this uh, exhibition, the elaborate ceremonies surrounding coronations, dynastic marriages, state visits, military victories had long been the occasions for rulers to show off their wealth, sophisticated taste, and culture to hundreds of uh, uh, to hundreds of guests who would be in attendance at such occasions um, and, and so Uh, architecture, interior design, gardens had to be in the latest style because every time you had these occasions you wanted word to spread uh, far and wide of how uh, wonderful they uh, were. were. Uh, In addition, of course, there were banquets along with processions through triumphal arches, uh, illuminations, fireworks, they all created what one author called the theater of self-presentation. And they were often coordinated with a theme uh, uh, related, of course, to the event being celebrated. And these two images on the screen uh, showing on the left the coronation of Archduke Austria, the future Joseph II in Frankfurt, and in in 1764 and on the right a Swedish banquet of 1772 just to give you an idea of how grand these displays were in Europe at the time of Catherine the the Great. And you can see silver, well on on the walls on either side on the left there you see uh, that those are huge silver buffets going all the way up to the ceiling. You have another one in this uh, pyramid Um, in in this pyramid at the center of the the, the table. So these um, silver buffets, gardens that would have waterfalls or pyramids or chandeliers reflecting on all of this. Of course, in the 18th century, the newly discovered white porcelain um, all added to this effect. Now, the Russians aspired to compete in this game as well. In fact, had been doing so for quite some time. Uh, the, the Russian coronations, like that of Catherine, which you see on the left, and, and these are uh, prints that are both in the exhibition, uh, took place in the Cathedral of the Dormition in the Kremlin, and the banquet following it took place in the faceted hall, where Tsars for the last three centuries had received diplomatic missions and celebrated important events. Um, Russians too had their silver buffet. You can see this, the the, the hall had a central, or still has a central pillar, it's not covered with silver anymore, but these are all um, fantastic gifts of silver that came from various empire uh, emissaries who came to the Empire and in fact they form the basis for the absolutely incredible uh, silver trove that's uh, now housed in the Kremlin armory. Catherine you see is up here at a a separate table. Now the the expansion of the luxury industries in the 18th century was a fundamental part of the modernization of all European monarchies. As the historian Peter Burke has written ritual art and architecture and I would add the decorative arts as well may all be seen as instruments of self-assertion as the continuation of war and diplomacy by other means. Uh, nobody understood this better than Catherine. And while much attention has been paid to the importance of architecture and gardens, the decorative arts have been less appreciated, I think, in in their role and in their propaganda role and how they could be used um, to further uh, the czars uh, or the the rulers um, agenda. Russians began striking medals to celebrate important occasions Especially military victories in the time of Peter the Great, uh, Timofey Ivanov created the dies for the Great Coronation Medal, um, which you see here on the, the left with Catherine wearing a very small crown, uh, and on the uh, Johann Georgi um, Vector uh, created the one of Catherine as uh, in the gu- uh, guise of Minerva, the goddess of wisdom, which was also struck at the time of the coronation. Um, Now, in in each of these cases, actual medals were inserted into the boxes um, in various periods. I mean, this went on, and the medals may have different things on the back of them. Um, The one on the far left there in an unmarked box uh, celebrates the peace that had been concluded with the Ottoman port in 1774, ending the First Turkish War. Um, the one here on the right is in the uh, exhibition, and is uh, what is in a box uh, made by uh, Jean-Pierre Ador, one of the great uh, goldsmiths of Saint Petersburg. Now, these images of Catherine were c- then copied in numerous media, including glass, porcelain, and ivory, throughout Catherine's reign. Uh, the medallion on the uh, vase is of car- carved bisque and inserted into the vase. And Catherine was especially fond of her profile as Minerva, the goddess of wisdom. This image of Catherine fused the warlike aspects of her rule, on which her reputation, of course, rested, with the classical virtues of uh, reason and uh, wisdom. And the the ivory box on the left uh, has the uh, first coronation medal. Now, uh, Catherine's daughter-in-law, Maria Fyodorovna created a Jasper cameo of Catherine as Minerva, which is in the exhibition. And Catherine was so pleased with this portrait that she had it copied in glass, which you see on the left, along with uh, one of Paul. These are at Hillwood. Uh, Paul was uh, Maria's husband and Catherine's uh, son. The box on the right has the same image, in Vera et which is a painting on reverse glass. And it was purchased in the fashionable shop Au Petit Dunkerque in Paris, owned by Charles Raymond uh, Granches, And it is dated about 1781-82, precisely at the time when Maria and Paul made their famous trip to the West as the Count and Countess of the North. Uh, and when, in, when they were in Paris, they visited the granchez 's shop, where Maria bought uh, or perhaps bought this box with the same image as the cameo she had presented to her mother-in-law for her birthday in 1781. So, I mean, this this image, you have a bust of Catherine in the exhibition in the guise of Minerva. This just keeps uh, recurring. Catherine memorialized her coup in various ways. She commissioned the Dutch artist, uh, Vigilius Eriksson to paint a large portrait of her in uniform, uh, in the uniform of the Semyonovsky Guards Regiment. Um, On 29 June 1762, riding her horse brilliant, she led the Guards Regiments from St. Petersburg, where she had secured her position as Empress, back to Peterhof, where her forces would capture her husband, and uh, Peter and ultimately kill him. And the original painting which you see on the left um, is a photograph I took at Paterhof uh, where it's in the throne room and but Catherine had favorite paintings copied many times and on the right is a smaller version uh, of the portrait also um, by Erickson. Now the, the events of the coup um, are also depicted Uh, On the box on the left, it's an enamel box and each of the six sides uh, has um, uh, paintings by Joachim uh, Kessner who painted the enamels from his own drawings. Catherine had actually uh, commissioned him to record the events of the coup uh, in drawings. Two of those are also in the exhibition, although not the scene that's on the top which is the guards uh, regiment swearing allegiance to Catherine, who was illuminated by a, a divine light you can see coming down from here. Um, the box is uh, was mounted by, again, by a door uh, with diamonds around um, the frame. And Catherine presented this box to Grigory Arlov, uh, her favorite and a leader of the coup um, that placed. Uh, her on the throne. She also celebrated the writing of her nakaz, or the instruction in a similar uh, manner, and you can see again um, an an enameled miniature. Uh, These instructions which you see her writing uh, to the commission she had formed in 1767 to codify the laws. And these instructions were in the form of assorted Enlightenment ideas about political philosophy, which the deputies were to consider when writing up the laws of the nation. And you can see her gazing at the bust of Peter, uh, as if continuing the work, his work as she writes. And given that the uh, plaque, it was part of the Arlov de collection. I'm wondering if it was perhaps also um, a, a gift to Grigory Arlov. This it was part of that collection before the revolution. Catherine grandly rewarded those who had taken part in the coup. To her favorite Arlov, she presented a gift of porcelain with his initials surrounded by a laurel wreath. You can see uh, pieces from the early, what I think is the early part of the service here, with little pouti,
1: romancing
0: pouti on the top. Um, and they're surrounded by military banners and uh, a cannon and other uh, military objects. Uh, the date for this is usually given as 1765 when she promoted Arlov to chief of ordnance. Uh, stylistically, it appears more likely that the service was commissioned shortly after the coup. And then either Catherine or Arlov himself then commissioned additions, which are both uh, different in both form and painting. And these are some of the additions. You see that the um, painting is um, uh, polychrome, for example, instead of, uh, and the the uh, um, boxes here are much more neoclassical in form than the earlier tea sets. And, uh, curiously, cannonballs were used as uh, finials on the lids of the toilet boxes uh, because this was a breakfast and toilet set uh, used for the morning levee, you know, when you lounged around and met with your courtiers and and had a leisurely morning. Something we don't know how to do anymore. Um, Kathleen's largesse to her supporters is absolutely unparalleled. She ordered 21 Silver services in the first year of her reign to reward those who had participated in the coup. These were made by masters in Augsburg, Paris, London, and Saint Petersburg, and most of the prominent silversmiths, in fact, in this period in the capital were actually foreigners. um, Some of whom were newly arrived, like Ador. Um, Others had lived their lives, uh, most of their lives, in Russia. Johann Friedrich Kirping who made 13 of these services, apprenticed to his father in St. Petersburg before uh, becoming a master. But perhaps the most famous silver gift was that given to Grigory Arlov, which Catherine ordered from Jacques-Nicolas Rottier in Paris in 1772. In that year, Catherine became estranged from Arlov, possibly as a result of her discovery that he was having an affair with another woman, And as part of the settlement of their split arrangement, she gave him this service, one actually of two that he received at this time. Uh, And this is the famous Arlov service, uh, which actually she acquired back for the crown, and it was often used uh, in the Winter Palace and uh, traveling to other palaces. Now, although she was not interested in food herself, Catherine understood the propaganda value of ceremonial dining and she ordered lavish services both at home and abroad. Um, This was not really a new practice. Um, Even Peter, the Empress Anna and Elizabeth had all commissioned service. Elizabeth in fact commissioned the one on the left uh, which came to be called the Paris service in 1758 from uh, Francois Thomas Germain but she did not live to uh, see it, but Catherine used it regularly. and an entry in the official journal of the Empress's Daily Activities, one of many notes that for the Feast of St. George, the table was set, quote, with the Parisian silver dessert plates with the insignia of the Order of St. George were used. And Catherine even took the Paris service on the road with her so that she would be sure to maintain the splendor of her court wherever she was. Uh, and for this purpose, she also commissioned in Augsburg, London, and Paris in the 1770s and 80s no less than 19 silver services for the various provincial cities in Russia, known, and these were known as the Gubernaya or governor's services, and she, therefore, intended that the governors uh, would all entertain <laughs> in style, and hopefully she wouldn't have to carry silver <laughs> services with her. And on the right is a terrine from the uh, one ordered in 1781 for Kharkov, uh, now in eastern Ukraine. And it was made by Philip um, Friedrich Burglacher of Augsburg and is uh, now in the Ermitage. Uh, After Catherine's death, her son Paul ordered that all the gubernia services should be returned to the court offices, and most of them were melted down in the reign in the 1840s by Nicholas I, something he has not, uh, has been broadly criticized for. Um, Silver plates ensured that a table would glitter in the candlelight, but nowhere did the decorative arts reveal their porcelain in the ruler's political spin uh, in quite the same way as in porcelain. I'm told that political spin is not a word that um, I wanted to use that as a title, and I'm told that that's not... A Canadian war, uh, word. So I guess you have to live inside the Beltway in Washington to truly understand. And we have nothing but political spin. So, um, but at any rate, uh, once I, I'm amused because Catherine had a good idea of what it was. Um, German alchemists, as they were called, discovered the composition of hard paste porcelain um, in 1709, which had long been known in China but remained a secret in Western Europe. From Meissen, the recipe spread throughout Europe over the course of the next 50 years. But porcelain remained a great rarity and thus was highly prized for diplomatic and personal gifts. The centerpieces had by the mid 18th century become an absolute necessity for the dessert table and a new form of uh, propaganda. The dessert table was usually separate from the main dining table and so that this is where all these great um, centerpieces uh, were displayed. In 1772 Frederick the Great gave Catherine a porcelain dessert service paying homage to his allies uh, military and domestic achievements most particularly her defeat of the Turks in 1770. Uh, Made at the Royal Porcelain Manufacture KPM in Berlin the table decoration features Catherine Uh, enthroned at the center surrounded by Hercules, Mars and other gods celebrating her victories. Uh, The figure of Catherine in the exhibition which is the one here on the right is one of six preliminary models uh, for the final sculpture which you see on the left um, which is at the ermitage where you see Catherine um, under a a canopy under a baldachin. This is taken right in the case uh, from the case where it is on Uh, view. At the side are additional groups and single figures. A group of uh, prisoners on the left in chains make clear to the viewer what had happened to the luckless Turks. Uh, Various ethnic groups, a Kalmut, a Russian, and a Cossack uh, were depicted as defenders of the Empire. Other figures represented the arts, and so everything uh, here was covered. The, the guests were meant to appreciate not only Catherine's defeat of the Turks, but also the extent of the empire and her accomplishments at home. And Catherine was so pleased with the service that she put it on view in the Hermitage and took her guests uh, to admire it. She did this actually with several services. In 1777, Catherine commissioned services for three, for three of the most prestigious of Russia's honorary uh, orders. There on the far left, the Order of St. Alexander Nevsky, then the Order of St. Vladimir. This is the Order of St. Andrew, which is the highest order. You see her wearing a fabulous um, diamond-studded Order of St. Andrew in uh, one of the paintings in the exhibition. And then this here is the Order of St. George, which was the highest military uh, order. Uh, I don't know what the equi- uh, Canadian equivalent would be, but it's much like um, uh, our um, Congressional Medal of Honor, uh, th- the highest level of it. <clears throat> uh, uh, and then the, she, she purchased a, the fourth, the um, uh, Order of um, the uh, Vladimir in uh, 1783 a few years later. The knights of each order were feted once a year on the name day of the saint for whom the order was named. Ever mindful of the role the guards regiments had played in her accession to the throne, Catherine paid great attention to the details of these banquets. Uh, The dessert services were ordered from the Francis Gardner factory outside Moscow, a part of her attempt to support private enterprise and bring in more business. Uh, As samples of what she had in mind, Catherine sent pieces of the Berlin service to the designer of these services, (coughs) Gavril Kozlov at the Academy of Arts. And you see on the left here is a Berlin plate and then this is a plate from the order uh, of St. George. And so you can see, and actually there are ice cups, which you can see very definitely the inspiration uh, for the ornament. The ethnic figures in the Berlin service also inspired a series of sculptures of the peoples of Russia made at the Imperial Porcelain Factory between 1779 and 1809. Jean-Dominique Rachette, professor of sculpture at the Academy of Arts, created the models based on illustrations published in 1776 in a volume called A Description of All the People Inhabiting uh, the Russian Empire by the German ethnographer uh, uh, Johann Georgi. And here you see a model of the uh, Finnish peasant and then this is the Georgi uh, drawing on the right. And the same thing here for the man from Kamchatka, and you have an example of the man from Kamchatka in the exhibition. Uh, and uh, Georgi joined numerous exhibition, uh, ex- expeditions to record the dress, language, and customs of these people. Most important, uh, the Rochette series featured more ethnic groups than had been included in the Berlin service, thus really extending the knowledge of the diversity of Catherine's empire. Because the Russians were extremely proud of the number, the number of ethnic groups. They felt they had more ethnic groups than any other uh, country. And, of course, these expeditions were going out all the time and Catherine uh, was very interested in what they were finding. Um, other services also uh, have a significant, had a significant impact on Russian porcelain decoration. The cameo service which Catherine ordered from the Sev factory in France was widely discussed in connection with her great passion uh, for cameos. But And you actually see imitation cameos. You can see them in two pieces on the lid of the... Uh, um, uh, ice cream cooler, not on the bowl part of it. On the lid you can see that cameos, imitation cameos have actually been inserted and also on the bowl part of the sugar bowl, not the not the lid. The other cameo-like um, uh, images are all painted, but these others, they're of porcelain, but they're inserted into uh, the actual uh, paste. What was most important for future porcelain Uh, production in Russia, though, was a a centerpiece. This was a table decoration of a new kind. While the centerpiece for the Berlin service was composed of small glazed figures surrounding a white glazed figure of Catherine enthroned, the centerpiece for the cameo service was much larger, and some of the pieces were in biscuit. In the center, uh, was the Russian Parnassus with uh, Minerva the goddess of wisdom i.e. Catherine on a pedestal you see her up at the top um, surrounded by the Muses and there were 38 additional groups of sculptures uh, most of them fairly uh, traditional ones arts and sciences law justice that sort of thing. The cameo service arrived in Russia in 1779 at just 5 years later in 1884 the imperial factory produced the arabes service the first large banquet service in russia made for 60 people with 973 pieces the neoclassical design of arabes was taken from wall ornament found in the recently discovered cities of pompeii and herculaneum uh, the designer of the service also made use of small cameo like ornament from the uh, around the borders. And I really like how, in the exhibition, you have the um, cameo service right next to the arabesque service so that you can really compare them and uh, see how one has influenced the other. The service, and particularly the centerpiece, was conceived at the highest level with the intention that the service would impress upon Catherine's dinner guests as well as future generations her contribution to Russia. The centerpiece featured Catherine in classical dress raised on a pedestal with an orb in one hand and um, the, uh, where has she got the scepter? She hasn't got uh, the, there, are, there are several versions of this and I must be, have uh, been thinking of another. The, the groups surrounding her are allegorical um, figures representing alternatively military might and a peaceful reign. Uh, in the center is uh, uh, and I'm speaking of this group on the left is Crimea under the rule of Catherine of course which is peaceful and wonderful and on, the other, on either side are law and magnanimity, magnanimity. Um, and on the right here is uh, amph- amphitrite. Are these in focus? Okay. Um, And she's seated on a dolphin uh, with the full armor of a warrior mounted in uh, in the bow of a ship. These table decorations were made after uh, models by Rochette and were especially uh, approved by the Academy uh, of Arts. Another group of uh, nine sculptures belonging to the centerpiece is this one of uh, Justice. And Justice is holding In one hand, the facies, a bundle of rods which was carried before the Roman magistrates and became a symbol of authority, and a volume with the empress's cipher, which makes one suspect it was probably representing her nakaz. Um, It's tempting to think that the sculpture by Rochette of the allegorical group uh, here in the exhibition um, symbolizing the Treaty of Yassi ending the Second T- Russian-Turkish War in 1792 might have been an I- addition to the centerpiece of the Arabas service, although it is somewhat smaller uh, in size. It certainly fits in with the group thematically. And here Catherine is seated in a boat in the guise of Mother of the Gods, uh, Sybil, and she's holding a plaque with a portrait of Catherine. Here's the plaque with a uh, a portrait of Catherine, and it, this plaque is on top of one of the Russian coat of arms, and the figure next to her is holding the cornucopia, which is um, has all the fruits of plenty um, representing the trade, uh, fruits of the trade in the Black Sea uh, will bring from this uh, victory. And it's very important to point out that the uh, in the 18th century, all of these classical references, which I'm explaining to you and pointing out to you and, and are pointed out in the exhibition in the catalog, would have been understood immediately by anybody looking at them. In other words, as you sat down the table, you would understand uh, all of this immediately. Uh, the yacht service is closely wrote, related to the Arabesque service, both in ornament and, and theme. And the pr- principal difference here between the two services is the central um, medallion um, on the Arabesque service it's a, um, uh, what they call cameo, meaning like a cameo of allegorical scenes whereas in the center of the yacht service it's a, uh, the flag of the merchant marine but you can see the um, ornament around the border and here on the, uh, around the cooler, are very similar and the um, uh, service certainly could have been used, in, services could have been used interchangeably. And questions have existed uh, about the service, yacht service, for a long time. There are no records about it, so um, we're a little uncertain, but it appears that Catherine commissioned it in 1787, um, for her tr- famous trip to the Crimea um, or immediately after. And the muse- merchant flag um, in this service, like the cornucopia in the sculpture of the Treaty of Yasi, alludes, to the, again, to the prospect of increased commerce and prosperity with the a- acquisition of the Black Sea ports. And, and going and furthering this commerce, of course, was one of the purposes of Catherine's uh, trip. Uh, Grigory Pachomkin organized this trip uh, of Catherine's to the Crimea in 1787 and there are a number of important souvenirs from that trip. Uh, One of them, of course, is the famous painting by Mikhail uh, Shabanov. Uh, You have uh, one in the exhibition and this is our copy uh, at Hillwood. Uh, The the original portrait, I think, is in the Russian Museum and again, uh, Catherine just loved uh, this, it was one of her favorite portraits, so she had it copied an, a number of times. Uh, and it was Shabanov, who had been a serf of Pchomkin, uh, or still was a serf of Pchomkin, painted it in, in Kiev, where Catherine spent the Easter holidays before sailing down the Dnieper to the Black Sea. Um, although there was a bit of a problem with uh, Shabanov, uh, uh, whom the English engraver James Walker described as a drunk, uh, he said they were obliged to lock him up in a room to keep him from spirits during the time her majesty was sitting um, but uh, that is, is actually a, was a problem with a number of people the founder of russian hard paste porcelain vinogradov also had to be chained and, uh, and to keep uh, him from writing de- to keep him sober while he wrote down all the recipes for hard paste porcelain Um, The the trip was an endless round of meeting and greeting with provincial officials as Catherine traveled south from St. Petersburg to Kiev. Presentation of bread and salt has long been the traditional form of welcome in uh, Russia, and on this trip, bread and salt was offered almost every day uh, in each town on a plate, uh, a silver platter uh, with a cellar of salt on top. But on the way home, Catherine was greeted in the town of Tula, south of Moscow and best known for its munitions production and also the wonderful steel furnishings you have in the exhibition. But here they presented bread and salt on a porcelain plate and it is almost certain that the bread and salt plate at Hillwood was the one used for this ceremony. Uh, The coat of arms of Tula is depicted in the center here (coughs) with um, and it was newly established that year The arms uh, refer to uh, Tula's munitions industry and the cornucopias and caduceus of mercury around the rim again refer uh, to the prosperity and commerce. Uh, Also very much related to this theme of the uh, advantages of commerce and Catherine's pursuit of the arts is a plaque by Wedgwood, created around 1785, just when Catherine was initially contemplating her trip to Crimea. Catherine, again, in the guise of Minerva, is extending a laurel wreath to um, Art, who is holding a palette um, and paintbrushes and a sculpture, and shielding um, Commerce over here, uh, who is holding, a, a cor- again, a cornucopia. So you can see that Catherine was just blanketing the elite world with this message. Now Catherine's commission for the Green Frog service made by Wedgwood in 1773 and 1774 was also to have ramifications on Russian porcelain production. This service ordered for 50 people was composed of 952 pieces with 1222 different views. Uh, the service was intended for the use in the Chesminsky Palace, uh, named after the famous Battle of Chesmé against the Turks in 1771 and that was a whole topic I'd hoped to cover because there's so many uh, decorative objects that relate to that battle. Um, Arlov's brother Alexei Arlov was the naval commander who and he became Arlov Chesminski um, as a result of that um, incredible victory. But this palace, the Chesminsky Palace, is, was a stopping route and route to, for Catherine to stop en route to Zarskia Sillo, her famous, uh, uh, her, her favorite residence, summer residence. And the Green Frog, which uh, enlivens all the pieces, uh, comes from the fact that the palace was originally uh, named in Finnish uh, Frog Marsh um, due to its uh, location. It's unclear why Catherine ordered her own version of the frog service from the imperial factory seen on the right. Uh, Made of porcelain, this service also uh, featured English views and not Russian ones. In many ways, both services were a way for Catherine to advertise her passion for English parks and gardens, which became well-developed in the 1780s. As she wrote to her favorite correspondent, Baron von Grimm, Anglomania rules my plantomania. (laughs) She was absolutely passionate about English gardens. Um, Veduta painting, or the painting of topographic views on porcelain, was already popular in Europe, especially at both the Vienna and Berlin factories. It's not surprising then that a whole group of services were commissioned first by Catherine and then by her son Paul with Italianate scenes. Uh, These services speak to the love of classical antiquity and the Grand Tour, uh, even if it was, in Catherine's case, a virtual tour. Uh, Many Russian grandees were going on the Grand Tour, including Paul and Maria, uh, who traveled to Italy in 1781. Catherine commissioned the first of these services, known as the Cabinet Service, in 1793 for her chief minister, Count Alexander Bezborodko and she was clearly pleased enough with the services um, to order two more for, as parts of the dowries for her two oldest granddaughters. This is the cabinet service here. This is the service that was ordered for her oldest granddaughter, Alexandra, who married um, the Archduke of um, uh, Hungary and died, unfortunately, in childbirth, this one was uh, for Maria Pavlovna, who married in the Sax-Weimar family. And then this one, now known today as the um, Württemberg service, was made for um, uh, the, his, uh, Paul ordered two more. Uh, Catherine ordered two, and then Paul liked them so much that he uh, uh, ordered uh, two as well. And the only differences from these services are the flower decorations that are around the borders. Otherwise, they all have uh, much the same forms and the classical um, uh, Italian scenes of uh, ruins and and famous monuments uh, inside. Now, what's interesting here is that all the services... Um, have these scenes, and most Russian uh, sources indicate that the views for the cabinet service were, first of all, only Ro- Roman scenes, but we have some at Hillwood that are uh, from Sicily, uh, and came from engravings by Giuseppe Vassi di Corleone and Giovanni Battista Piranesi. This is possible, um, and I've seen engravings of theirs, um, but I find mostly the engravings of these masters are much more complicated and the buildings not always seen from the same perspective as the views on porcelain. And my concern um, with them being the primary source, it was after finding that all the views uh, from Naples and Sicily uh, on the dowry services uh, but also in the cabinet service, come from a single source, namely the four-volume work compiled by Jean-Claude uh, Richard saint Non called Voyage Pittoresque, a description of Naples and Sicily. And here you can see what they, what they did, which was so common. This is a view of a lake in the region of Castro Giovanni. And, and all the porcelain pieces have the description of the scene underneath. And so this is... Um, you see here the tenting scene, all the big mountain landscape has sort of been compressed, and all these people in the hay wagon have just been admitted, uh, omitted. So you just get this tenting scene. The, the fisherman out here is also admitted, omitted. So they would either take just a part of the uh, scene or compress it together or and leave parts out. And because many of these miniatures on the plates, they're only this big. I mean, they're ex- extremely small. There was a limited amount you could do. Now, porcelain and silver services aside, um, there, uh, there was nothing like a gold box as a presentation gift, <laughs> if you had your choice. Uh, fashioned in the French style, these boxes could be of uh, guilloché enamel, which is plain enamel over end, engine turning or uh, machine engraving on the metal underneath. And that, uh, y- you can't really see it in these slides because they're both dark blue. But do look in the exhibition, uh, look very close at the enamel boxes, and you will see a pattern underneath. And that is uh, and engraved on the gold uh, underneath uh, the enamel. Um, and then they often had either a portrait miniature or um, uh, another, um, uh, well, gems. And then this particular one that's in the exhibition uh, of, by the goldsmith uh, Johann Gottlieb Scharf. And he created a box with bees with diamond wings buzzing around a diamond-studded hive. And it's inscribed in red gold, or useful, helpful. And Catherine considered the bee her emblem. And as Voltaire wrote her, if your emblem is a bee, you have an incredible hive. It is the largest in the world. Uh, and <clears throat> so, I mean, there's, there were messages in these. The same thing is true of this other box uh, at Hillwood by Georg Kunzendorf, Um, which is covered with blue enamel and studded with white six-pointed opaque enamel stars uh, with an enameled portrait portrait of Zakhar Chernyshev in the center. Uh, The white stars of David, the cross pens, the square and compass, the Bible, are all symbols of the Freemasons, uh, which was an international uh, fraternal organization which offered a haven uh, for liberals during the reign of Catherine. And the boxes dated 1773, the same year Catherine promoted uh, Chernyshev, who was also a Mason, to be Governor General of White Russia or Belarus today. Uh, Probably the most famous of all the goldsmiths, uh, and I've mentioned him before, was Jean-Pierre Adore. He created two of the most spectacular works in gold of Catherine's reign. The potpourri on the left, now at the Walters Art Museum um, in Baltimore, was either a gift from Catherine to Orlov or ordered directly by him in 1768. And you see up at the very top, these putti, uh, like on the porcelain service, but you see the GGO in Cyrillic, um, his monogram, uh, and these, then these... Uh, sort of pink monochrome uh, enameled uh, plaques uh, simulating cameos of flora on one side and Ceres uh, on the other. I, I should point out that Arlov, um, it could have been ordered by Arlov. The Arlov brothers were great patrons of the uh, uh, of adore. And one thing I really haven't stressed is although Catherine was patronizing a lot of these people, all the grandees were as well. And so they were following her lead and ordering their own porcelain services. Yusupovs ordered several services from Sev. Uh, and so it just goes on uh, and on, which is why you find so many of these extraordinary uh, pieces in Russia in the 18th century. Uh, the vase on the right also by um, uh, that also doesn't look like it's in focus. But I, I'm not a judge here because I'm too close to it but I can't tell. Um, is military in its conception uh, topped as it is with a helmet resting on arrows and a quiver. Uh, winged dragons form the top of the handles and there are military trophies in uh, blue enamel. Uh, the military trophies here. You have the winged dragons here and You have this helmet, uh, arrows, and this is a um, a quiver. And and then again, this uh, monochrome enamel of uh, a Roman military figure um, and these uh, monochrome plaques seem to have been a feature of uh, Adore's work. Another superb goldsmith of the end of Catherine's reign was Ivar Vinfeld Winf- Winf- Buch. In 1770, Catherine commissioned him to make two liturgical sets. One of these sets was intended for the Dormition Cathedral in the Kremlin, and Catherine presented the other one, uh, which included this chalice, to the Trinity Cathedral in the Alexander Nevsky Monastery in St. Petersburg um, on 29 August 1791 which was the eve of St. Alexander's feast day. Uh, Catherine provided Book with the gold, the diamonds from the state treasury, and antique stones from her private collection. And it was one of uh, uh sort of conceits that he would use. You can only see one stone here, but there are three um, bloodstones on the other three sides. And then actually this is a glass piece with two, with two Spanish saints which you can see when she was, they were hardly um, Orthodox religious scenes, which would normally, uh, you would normally have on a chalice. And this is one thing that's significant of the chalices of this period. They were not following um, traditional iconography on them, so that you could get away with having, um, well, the Archangel Michael right here. He was not a figure that normally fe- um, was featured on uh, Russian chalices, it would be Christ, Mother of God. John the Baptist and the Crucifixion on the top, and then uh, scenes from The Passion of Christ uh, on the bottom. Um, and how two Spanish saints got on here is, is something of a, a mystery. But, and, and this chalice was made by um, uh, Boudet, uh, Francois Xavier Boudet, who was um, especially famous for his gold boxes, and you can see how he's created the chalice by this incredible uh, filigree wire cage that goes all around the um, gold bowl and also at the bottom. But significant here also is the wheat and the grapes here on the book chalice and then uh, stalks of wheat here on uh, the um, boudet chalice of uh, the chalice. These are um, completely Western symbols. They were not found in on chalices before the reign uh, of Catherine. Now the church of course westernized, modernized much more slowly uh, than other organizations but you can see even in these chalices how uh, westernization had been absorbed um, even by uh, the church. Uh, Catherine's lavish gifts Table services and gold boxes all helped to spread the word that hers was the most luxurious court in Europe. She hoped this perception would ensure that Russia would be considered European and not a barbaric frontier outpost, and that she, an enlightened empress, who had brought this was an enlightened empress who had brought this transformation about. Russians were beginning to perceive that their capital city, St. Petersburg, had grown from a cluster of buildings in a swamp to a truly beautiful city. This would be reflected in the decade after Catherine's death as views of St. Petersburg rather than antique Italian villas began to decorate Russia's porcelain. The porcelain itself is empire in style, indistinguishable from uh, Western models, but the painted miniatures increasingly are of Russian subjects. Uh, on the left is the Guryev uh, plate from the Guryev service, which was commissioned by Alexander I in 189. actually originally called the Russian service, and it had scenes of St. Petersburg on it. These are the Laplanders because there were also um, ethnic uh, groups, um, which increasingly, and e- ethnic figurines and use in porcelain would continue throughout the uh, imperial period. The uh, um, On the right is a, a tray which is part of a tea set uh, of brown luster um, which was is dated about 18, 1810 and other uh, pieces in this service are decorated with Italianate views but the tray features a large painting of Gacchina, uh Paul's favorite residence uh, from a watercolor by Simeon Chedrin a professor of drawing at the Academy of Arts. In 1798 the cabinet commissioned him to paint watercolors uh, which became the source of uh, watercolors of all the summer residences and and palaces in Petersburg and these became the source for many miniatures uh, on porcelain. Not only did Russian artists and artisans promote their empress her accomplishments, her victories, but gradually they began to find interest in and beauty in their own city, its environments, and the vast Russian Empire, sending a new message about Russia's sophistication and ability to produce at the highest level. But the agenda became more nationalistic as the Napoleonic Wars forced Russia to reconsider its desire to become completely European. Thank you very much.